This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Jillian Garrett is in Washington State, and uh, she became a hunter through a very circuitous route, uh, one that involved a terrifying attack on her small farm acreage by a black bear. And the trauma that came from the event and the incident that you'll hear in this podcast led her to really deciding, number one, she needed to understand how to utilize a weapon, a gun. And secondly, has led her on this journey to really understand what a healthy black bear looks like. And the only way that she feels like she could do that is by trying to hunt one. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Being quiet. <laughs> what did you say? You're good at three things? Farming? What? Farming, writing, and being quiet. <laughs> there we go. Well, you're definitely not going to be quiet since this is an audio medium and we need you to speak for a podcast to be um, well-received. Let me say that. <laughs> 
it's good to get me out of my comfort zone. I would be a social hermit my whole life if I was allowed to be, which is not productive. Would you say that hunting is out of your comfort zone? Well, not anymore. I'm still Uh. learning, but um, I don't, I mean, I still feel very new, uh, still a little unsure of myself, but not so much now. I've successfully harvested two deer at this point and Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of turkeys, obviously not a bear, but Mm -hmm. I'm still learning. Would you, if I'd asked you the question, is hunting outside of your comfort zone 10 years ago? I don't even think... What would the answer have been? (laughs) I don't even think it would have entered my mind to consider hunting 10 years ago. Would you have had like a negative reaction if someone had asked you that question? I don't think it would have been negative. I... I mean, I've been a farmer for almost 20 years. I've Hmm. raised my own livestock. I've helped to slaughter my own livestock. So it wouldn't necessarily have bothered me from any sort of moral standpoint. But I think I would never have thought to pick up a gun or a bow and go out there. That part would have absolutely been out of my comfort zone. Had you ever questioned the morality of death? When it comes to animals, like in early childhood or whatnot, so that was just something you grew up with? Um, you know, it was kind of, I wouldn't say I questioned it. It wasn't really something that I even thought of beyond in childhood. It was the whole, you know, save the the panda, save the whale, save the tiger. And you were focused on that and not so much the morality of death as just the hunting is bad, guns are bad mindset. And I I don't quite know if that makes sense, but there was kind of a separation between the two. So you don't, when you were exposed to that whole culture, subculture of save the tigers, save the elephants, save the pandas, was the rhetoric that hunting is bad and guns are bad tied to that? Absolutely. And you were... That was your frame of reference. Could you, would you have said that that was your frame of reference then? Correct. I just That's probably the biggest thing in the world that I live in is, and that's what we do every single day, right? It's like I'm trying to think through, like, how do we change narrat- the narrative of hunters and hunting, especially in that world of like, oh, you know, the fundraising machine that is big, mega charismatic, sorry, charismatic megafauna yeah. that drives a very, very large funding machine around the world that in, con- in, a, in a rhetoric connotation perspective says hunting is bad, guns are bad. Yes. And one thing I've heard that maybe helps to answer that is, and I'm probably going to get some hate mail for saying this, but anti-hunters and hunters theoretically want the same thing. We care 1,000%. About the, we, we care about the animals. We care about conserving the animals. We just come to that conclusion from two vastly different mindsets. And I think trying to figure out a way to bridge that gap, to be able to speak to one another, 
is the key. And I don't have the answer to how to do that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree with you. I think that that is, yes. And, and if I had to simplistically break it down, it's ask the question, the same question to both groups, which is this. Do you want to see more, and I'll have there a couple of adjectives here, more healthier, sustaining wildlife and biodiversity on this planet? And both groups would say yes. Absolutely. So now it's, okay, does it really matter the toolbox that we use to get there? As long as we're going the same direction and we get to the same outcome, does it matter the toolbox that we use? Now, we can get all into all sorts of ethics and morality and yada, 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 <laughs> because people will, you know, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll start comparing and using the analogies of, you know, someone will bring in abortion and whatnot, and it's like, oh my God, okay, stop, 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 stop. Anyway. <laughs> Jillian Garrett, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It is absolutely an honor. Um, I'm a little outside of my comfort zone, like we said, but I'm really excited to talk <laughs> with you today. Well, talking is the uh, operative term <laughs> in, uh, in what in a podcast is, so hopefully you will open up and feel more comfortable as we go through this conversation. Um, and you came to me, I was tagged in, actually I wasn't tagged into anything, your profile got sent to me, and your pictures of your sort of coming out of this is who I am in terms of a hunter, why I came to being a hunter would have intrigued me and I think it would intrigue people listening to this conversation about you know you know how you sort of progress and it's very much a a different story in terms of like how things got started because and he, and you've already given me a little bit of insight that wasn't in the manuscript that you're going to publish but it's not as I said let's let's, let's re rewind a couple of minutes it's not the fact it's not killing animals that was an issue for you because you've been in the farming game for Correct. for 20 years, right? Yep. So tell me about, and in your, in this manuscript, you don't describe or you don't get into the details of this attack that you went through. That's where I want to start. I want to hear you about want, that. You want to go for the hard question first. Okay. <laughs> That's what we're um, known for. <laughs> so it was very random from the standpoint that, and let me back up a bit and kind of give you a bit of the setting. So I was living in Southern Oregon at the time. And even though okay. my husband and I had a little bit of acreage, we had our farm, we were in an area that had over the course of our time there really built up and become a lot more um, urbanized. We were surrounded okay. by houses that had maybe an acre or less plots. We were right next to this huge vineyard of, I think it was 70 acres. 
So even though we weren't in the city and I wouldn't necessarily classify us as the suburbs, we were still built up enough. Wildlife was, you know, out there down the road miles away where you could go hiking. It wasn't something that we expected to find on our farm in our yard. You know, we, our biggest predators were coyotes and raccoons. And this attack happened December 2019. So we had been living on the farm for about 15 years now. We'd never encountered a black bear before that time. And it was really unfortunate because this particular bear, um, we had it essentially autopsied by the state wildlife biologist who said it had an injury where it was basically missing its entire tongue and it wasn't Jeez. able to eat. And um, unfortunately, this full-grown sow weighed okay. 100 pounds at the time of the Jeez. attack. And How old was the, it? Do we know? We don't know. I know it was mature. So it was okay. an adult. Um, and unfortunately, it probably, according to the biologist, would have died within a day or two, which uh, was kind of a hard pill to swallow, given mm -hmm. everything that happened. But my husband and I... We're just getting ready for bed that night, and we heard this horrible screaming noise coming from our pastures. And anyone who's ever had llamas, when they decide to fight, they make the most ungodly noise. And it kind and of the sounded screaming was coming from your llamas? From the llama pen. Um, and you're raising llamas for... Sorry, I'm, I'm di digressing here, but <laughs> they no, no. will... Uh, partly wool, partly just because they made really great manure for compost. It doesn't, mm. it, it's not hot the way that um, cattle or horse manure is. You can put it directly on the plants. So, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not hot? It How's is that not possible? Hot. Isn't their They're body just... temperature <laughs> the same as every other body temperatures? Well, what I mean, it's not um, chemically going to burn the plants. Oh, sorry. Okay, I was... <laughs> sorry, sorry, I automatically went to temperature. No, no, it's, it's fine. The, the used term is to say it's not hot, meaning it's not chemically hot. But um, they were also just pasture ornaments that we enjoyed having around. Um, okay. So again, when llamas fight, they can make a terrible noise, which sounded similar to this. So at first, um, my husband and I were getting ready for bed that night and didn't really think too much of it. I'm like, oh, the girls are off in the pasture fighting again, and the noise kept going on, and there was a different cadence to it. And I finally turned to my husband. I said, we should really go check this out. And unfortunately, our setup at the time, we really didn't have uh, good flashlights. We didn't have any lights on this far pasture. It was kind of on the far side of our property. So it was difficult for us to see, and you add to that that it was a moonless, uh, very foggy night. I mean, if you could think of a mm. description for a nightmare, that's how it started. It was that just pitch mm. black, foggy night. And so we go out there and it's this six foot tall, solid cedar fence. I mean, it's taller than I am. I'm five foot four. So I have to like climb up to look over. But my husband gets there first and he looks over the fence and he sees this black bear attacking our biggest llama. And what was even more incredible was that here's this 100-pound injured sow, and she's attacking our 400-plus-pound llama. I mean, it was such a freak occurrence as far as this attack and what happened. 
But my husband gets there first, sees what's going on, runs back to the house because he did own a couple of firearms at the time. And I remember running back with him and he grabbed his gun and he tried to hand a gun to me. And he's like, you, you know, you can try and shoot too. And it was that whole hunt. I don't, I've never even touched one of your guns before. I don't know how to fire. I would probably end up accidentally shooting you and not the bear. And that was when I talk in my uh, manuscript about that feeling of helplessness and never wanting to feel that way again, that was part of it. That whole, I can't protect myself and my family from this. But um, so my husband. Let me ask this before before the situation is is even happened. Were you anti gun? Was there a reason why you hadn't like decided? Hey, I want to learn to shoot. And and I asked that. You know, my my wife I think is pretty much in that same boat as you. She's like, I'll say, hey, let's go to the range and I'll teach you how to shoot a pistol, right? That I have. And she's like, no, I don't want to. And I'll be like. Like, what if you like you need it? She's like, I wouldn't. I don't know. I don't want it. I. I mean, I was obviously raised in a household where guns were viewed as bad, um, mm. to the point where we didn't even talk about it. And so I still carried that residual bit of mindset with me. It was actually a long marital debate on whether or not my husband could even. I mean, he grew up with guns. I I should say that. But I was so anti-gun. I didn't even want them in the house. And that was, looking back on it, that was so remiss of me as a farmer not to learn how to at least use some sort of twenty-two pistol or something so that when I had an animal that needed to be put down, I didn't have to rely on the vet. You know, as a farmer, sometimes getting a veterinarian to come out to the farm quickly when an animal's suffering isn't possible. And sometimes as a poor farmer, we can't always afford that $300 plus farm visit. So it, I'm disgusted with myself for not picking up and learning how to use a gun sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now we're running back to the, we're running back one firearm. Yeah, Husband so- has it. He goes there, and um, like I said, it was just it, it was just out of a nightmare because you've got the dark and foggy night. He's trying to get the gate open to get into the pasture so he can get a decent shot. And um, it had been raining in the wood because it's this solid cedar fence. The had wood expanded. had swelled, mm-hmm. and we couldn't get the gate open. And eventually, I mean, it must have it felt like an eternity but I'm guessing it was only a minute or two. He finally gets the gate open and he's trying to and line up. And the llamas up. are still screaming. Yeah. So we had two llamas in the pasture. One of them is not being attacked, running around, freaking out. The other one is in a ravine. And unfortunately, the black bear, the only part it could get to her was her face. And um, it ended up basically tearing her eyes out and tearing off her mouth. Um, so we did, even though she wasn't mortally wounded from the standpoint that she would have died immediately, we also had to put her down that night. Um, but my husband takes as best of a shot as he can at the bear. He ended up, I think he broke it sh- its um, shoulder, but it goes running off into the night. And the difficult part was we didn't, it, it clearly 
didn't fall over dead. But at that point, we didn't know, did it climb the fence and, and run off out of our property? Is it still running around in the dark of the pasture? And in this area that we lived, I mean, we had neighbors with small children that would go and play in this backyard. So the thought of having this injured, hungry black bear running around was terrifying. So we knew we had to take care of it that night. And uh, my husband basically had a, a friend who was a firefighter that he called and said, I, I need you to come help me. Um, he obviously called and reported it to the police department and they eventually came out. Um, but my my husband and his friend went out into the dark and my husband, I remember him saying that the thing that struck him the most as far as terror from that night was trying to shine a light out into the darkness and catching the bear's eyes in just the pitch black. And he said, that was one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my life. Um, but they did eventually end up shooting it and killing it that night. And then we turned the body into the um, wildlife biologist the next day. And your husband had to put the llama down. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, it was his favorite llama, too. And <laughs> I know sometimes I look back on that and I go, people may not understand why that was so traumatic. But I guess unless you'd been there, it's it's difficult to convey. But it was it was really deeply traumatic for both my husband and I. Was your your husband's a hunter? He grew up in a household that did a lot of um, outdoor activities. They did a lot of fishing. They weren't really hunters. He had actually gotten into hunting about a year before the black bear attack. Um, mm -hmm. At that point, he'd only really hunted turkeys. And I enjoyed the meat. I, in, I love wild turkey meat. It's my favorite thing. Um, and I had kind of started to get curious about hunting, but uh, it was mostly him at that point. Yeah. So you have this traumatic event. You have your first interaction with wildlife. Up until this point, you haven't shot a gun. You haven't thought about hunting. What, from that bear attack, what is the thought process now? Is it more of like, okay, just like you you said, I need to learn. I need to learn how to take care of myself if my husband's not here or something happens. It was definitely, um, I, I don't want to be a victim. I don't want to feel helpless. But it was also, I'm one of those types of people that I feel I can do anything I want to as long as I put my mind to it, just through sheer determined stubbornness. And I hated the fact that I had post-traumatic stress anytime I heard the sound of gunfire. Hey. And I desperately wanted to work through that. And maybe there were better means of trying to heal, but for me, it was about figuring out not only how to learn how to shoot to you know not be a victim, but also because I didn't always want to have that post-traumatic stress. So, but... I guess it was just the whole like, because I'm assuming he only shot once, right? He and the bear shot, ran off. The bear ran off. And then uh, when they did finally find it, there was uh, 
several shots to finish it multiple off. shots and you heard those shots or you yeah. were in the house or you were I, just i was in the house waiting the and time. heard waiting yeah mm. yeah so your ptsd you're like okay well now you've got to shoot a gun you you obviously don't have a place to shoot it, right? And so a lot of places around the around the country, thanks to things like the Pittman Robertson Act, through state agencies, have built gun ranges for the public to utilize. Awesome place to go learn how to shoot, but also unless, unless there's you have lots of people, stress. and there's lots of people shooting too. It's not just you shooting. Correct. So, let me ask this. The, the PTSD, I get it. I get the shooting range. I get the sort of gunfire and whatnot. But there's, no, there's still no like connection to why you decided to hunt. And maybe there's no way I can really explain it. But I needed to get out into the woods and learn how to find normal bears. I wanted to see a normal oh, bear. I wanted to interact with a normal bear. And I thought, I've always been curious about hunting, so what better time to combine the two? Why did you decide that needed? Why did you decide you needed the hunting component? Because I, I, I think, when I, again, as I read through the manuscript, you said, okay, I'm going to go to this place where what you call a predator lane or predator alley or predator whatnot. Predator alley. <laughs> predator alley. It was like, okay, there's lots of lots of bears around, potentially mountain lions around. I get that. I get like, let's put yourself back in a situation where you can see a bear, a healthy bear. But you don't, it's like hiking and it's like hiking versus hunting. You can go do that, but you don't need to take a gun with you. You don't need to hunt. I just, again, I, I felt that if I'm going to be a hunter, which again, I'd always been curious about it. I just didn't have the motivation before to do it. Okay. And combining it with learning how to fire a rifle was the best time, you know, combine the two. And now I'm learning how to protect myself, how to protect my farm. And I'm also, I'm getting to immerse myself in a quest to see and understand what a normal bear is like and helping to feed myself and my family in the process. And again, it's just that was how my mind worked for the healing. I don't know if I can ever really explain it in a way that most people understand, but it was how I kind of got it in my head. So post this event, you have tried to go bear hunting. I've tried so hard. You sound like me. Black bear <laughs> hunting is my nemesis. My uh, I have a guy that Cody who co-hosts a roundup with me every week, and it, it's almost on a weekly basis that someone texts in about Robbie's inability to kill a black bear. Um, <laughs> we should form a support club. <laughs> oh, we should absolutely, absolutely. I have been to Maine and probably spent. I don't know, 55 plus hours in a tree stand overlooking a bait for three years in total, three years back to back to back. No, one, one year was a gap year. And I've seen two cubs. I have not killed a bear. 
it makes me feel a little better, although I am very sorry for you. <laughs> Please use my misery to help you. It's fine. It's fine. So the talk to me about have you not just had you've had no opportunities, or you haven't seen any bears? Are you still in the same place PTSD wise? Um, so um, I. I feel like my story as a bear hunter is a story of a comedy of errors. I cannot tell you how many bears I've seen on trail cameras, usually on the day I decided to take off from hunting, or I would be on one side of the place and the bear would decide to walk down the opposite end of the place. It's always just missed opportunities. Um, as far as the PTSD, I really, I mean, I worked hard to overcome it with the gunfire. And even to this day, I still have days in hunting where I want to go out, but I just know I'm not in a good mental health state to pick up a, a rifle. And I just have to kind of say, well, maybe I'm taking my camera out today. Yeah. But honestly, for me, the big part of healing, and it, it might sound silly in a way, but it was writing that manuscript about the whole experience because that helped me create what I like to call a, a narrative of healing because it gave me words to use to talk about that event where I was more focused on the words than the trauma. And that was kind of my step to really overcoming that part of the, the trauma and the post-traumatic stress. It's kind of like I worked through the, um, fear from the sound of gunfire first and got over that, but I still really couldn't think or talk about that night of the attack until I sat down and wrote out this manuscript. Yeah. It's funny, obviously you haven't been in the hunting world a long, a long time, but what you're saying is very, um, it hits on a lot of elements when it comes to people like recovering from things you talked about ptsd of this attack well you know from a veterans community perspective you know put just it's almost like you're you're echoing what they do you know they come back from very traumatic situations and the outdoors and hunting is this healing place for them um sometimes they say it's 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 what's the word that they use and i want to be careful with my words here it's 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 certainly different, but there's a there's a different there's an element that resonates more with their soul about chasing four legged creatures versus two legged creatures. So there's um, the veteran community, especially from a PTSD perspective, utilizes hunting in the same capacity you did, um, and I think uh, you know. The outdoors, whatever that you're taking from it, whether it's spirituality, whether it's getting closer to your creator, whether it's uh, becoming more healthy, um, understanding your role in nature, all those things are amplified when you decide to become a part of nature and not a part of her. So, no, I really appreciate you sharing it. And um, has... And obviously, since you know you've been trying to get you're trying to get bears, and in the beginning of the podcast, you said that you have managed to take a couple of deer. 
you have managed to, to take something. Has those animals in that execution of, of, of life, essentially, has that done anything for you? You know, I won't say that I had any sort of moral dilemma about taking a life. Um, as long as I did my part to do it as quickly and humanely as possible. And uh, that was one thing that when I was learning how to overcome that post-traumatic stress and learn how to use a rifle, I was training to do that as well. And I've been really lucky that both of the deer I shot they were really well-placed shots, and that deer did not go anywhere. So mostly I've just focused on being thankful for what I can harvest. Like I said, giving a quick, humane death. And um, I guess as a farmer, it you kind of, it, it's less of a moral issue because it's obtaining food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, you, when you, when you start r- opening your circle a little bit large uh you know into in a, into a larger circle of of women hunters you will find that women hunters are killers in don't that. mess with us <laughs> i'm telling you a lot of people you speak to any hunting guy they'd prefer to take a female hunting than they would a male hunting because number one you guys listen males don't listen <laughs> two when it comes to the moment of the execution it's some, you guys are so dialed. There's no like huffing and puffing and sweating and whatnot. So us, the guys, like all over the show, we can't control our breath. Our hearts going crazy. But women in the moment are killers. They're just like very, very tactical when it comes to the execution of the action of killing something. Um, and then the food element, obviously, you know, it's just something that everyone understands when they go hunting. A lot of people do it just for that. Um, but people understand also the benefit of the action, specifically when has food as a benefit uh, beyond PTSD recovery, mental, you know, mental health, spirituality, traditions, heritage, conservation. The food element is always there. Jillian, thank you. I know Absolutely. that uh, this is your first podcast, right? It is. So thank you. <laughs> I I quite enjoy. We have a lot of people on this podcast that come out for the first time because we try and find, you know, off the beaten path stories of people uh, and their journey into hunting. And yours is certainly unique. Um, where can people find the manuscript when it is going to be available or where and when? So I um, just heard back confirmation. Bear Hunting Magazine will be publishing it in their upcoming May-June issue. And I definitely want to encourage people to pick up a subscription. Um, it's a great magazine. It's been so supportive of me, both as a new hunter, as a woman hunter. Um, they were the ones who published my very first freelance article, which ironically was May-June of last year. Um, it was called Letter from a Wildlife Conservationist, and it was basically mm. an open letter to the WDFW special commissioners in support of spring bear. Um, well, which unfortunately, is, it, that did not help. <laughs> no. But nothing, but, nothing can help that commission right now, to say that. Uh, yeah, not to get into the politics of it, but 
hopefully um, this will be a cautionary tale to hunters anywhere. I uh-huh. I know a lot of other hunters see Washington and they go, well, it's just spring bear. What does it matter? But the thing is, this is, it's a larger issue because it's not just spring bear. It's showing how easy it is to do death by degrees for hunting. You know, you chip away at one little thing and then it snowballs over time till eventually you stop and look and go, I no longer have hunting. Mm-hmm. So we as hunters need to take note of this and we need to safeguard hunting for the future. We can't mm-hmm. let it be chipped away like this. Totally agree. 100% agree. So check out Bear Hunting Magazine. Go get yourself a, a subscription. Uh, Colby Moorhead is a big supporter of Blood Origins too. So go get yourself a subscription to Bear Hunting Magazine. Um, I believe we have a discount code or something like that. And I cannot for the life of me remember it. Uh, so reach out to me. DM me. In, uh, email us at info at bloodorigins.com if you want that discount code uh, for signing up for the Bear Hunting Magazine. Jillian. Thank you so much. I appreciate you pushing yourself out of your uh, typical comfort zone and engaging us on this podcast. Thank you so much, Robbie. It has been an honor. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.